All right, thank you, Pastor, and good morning, church family. Sure happy to be with you all, and I got to say this right, in Shano. You know how long I worked on that? And uh, here I have, and I got it. So glad to be with you all. It's a beautiful day in Wisconsin, isn't it? And uh, lovely weather. I love the summer. It's my favorite time of the year. And I'm just so happy to be with all of you all today. And it's 11 o'clock, and we'll easily be done by 2, so we got plenty of time. So grab your Bible, would you? And find the book of Job. Let's start in the book of Job for our morning meditation in the Word of God. It's good, so good to see my friend, uh, Brother Joe here, Brother Jackson, from over in Michigan and his family. I was thinking just a moment ago, I think the last time I saw you guys was either at camp or was uh, maybe your whole family together. We ate out at, uh, was that like a steak and shake or something? And that was awesome. So, so nice to see you. It made my day to pull in and see them this morning. And a lot of you I just met yesterday and already feel right at home. And Pastor, I'm really honored and thrilled you would invite me to come to your church and, and teach on the family. It's just uh, just a great privilege. And then exciting, Pastor has a beautiful family, doesn't he? And how many of y'all think he needs to have at least a 9 or 10 or 12 more little boys? Don't y'all think that would work? And uh, that would be so awesome. How old are you, Pastor? I'm just curious. 30 years old. He's getting old. How many of y'all know that? And uh, so, so just, just so thrilled to be with you guys. Thank you so much for being here this morning. My daughter's with me, Charity, and Charity and I are on a summer trip. And uh, we, uh, my wife is almost always with me, and I'm sorry she's not. Uh, she's my favorite person in all the world, my girlfriend, my best friend. And uh, in just a few, mo- a few weeks, we'll be celebrating 29 years of marriage. And so we're coming up on the 30, the big 30 for us. We have five young'uns. And my oldest is Abigail, married to David, and they're on staff at a college in Lancaster, California. He teaches in the Bible department, and just one young, fine young man. I'm so thankful God put him in my daughter's life. Then I have Joshua and Bethany. Joshua's married to Bethany, and they are serving in Camarillo, California. He's the youth pastor at Horizon Baptist Church. And I just got done this past week with his youth group going to summer camp and had a great week. And then my son Matthew is married to Kareth, and they are on staff at a church in Odenville, Alabama. And they're the redneck part of our family. And he's a youth pastor there. He had 98 teenagers Friday night in his vacation Bible school and had 12 of them saved and just been a great week. Had right at 300 and some kids all total in our VBS. So the Lord's really using Matthew. He's just a really great guy. And and we're thrilled about him. And then, of course, my Jacob is number four, and he's in Bible college studying for the ministry. And then there's Charity. And my wife's not here because she's been uh, seeing a doctor this past week, just some health issues that's been building. And we were finally able to get her into a specific doctor, and he worked it out to where he could see her this past week, and he's seeing her this coming week. So uh, that's why she's not with me. And I'm so, so, so sad about that because I would love for you to meet her. But I'm delighted Charity's with me. And Charity is the caboose of the family. She's the baby, and uh, I'm so glad she's and I have been. Uh, we started in North Carolina and did a family camp Wednesday through Sunday. Then we drove to Kobiak, Michigan, Houghton Lake, Kobiak Camp in Houghton Lake, Michigan. And I did a, I preached 14 times last week at camp. And then I drove here yesterday and preached uh, here yesterday, and I'm here today. And then I'm heading to Richmond Lake Youth Camp in Aberdeen, South Dakota. And I'll be there for a week. Then I go to Indianapolis for a Sunday, and then I'm going home, and I get to be home three days. How exciting is that? 
and uh, then we're going to hit the road again. We got meetings in North Carolina, Missouri, Georgia, West Virginia, Kentucky, and then I'm taking a vacation. And don't y'all think I need one? I feel like I deserve it. But uh, I'm so excited to serve you all today. Did you, uh, did you all pay any attention to the song that we sang a moment ago, Hymn 200 in this blue hymn book? And uh, this one line, it's a family day, you know, talking about the family today. This, this second line, the second verse, Oh, give us homes with godly fathers, mothers, who always place their hope and trust in Him. It, you know, if it stopped right there, I'd feel better about it. But did you catch that next line? Whose tender patience turmoil never bothers. <laughs> it's like, uh, that's brutal. Uh, do you ever get bothered in your family? Are you ever like, are you kidding these kids I have? And uh, this is just a phenomenal song. The other thing that cracked me about this song was that the writer, her name is uh, Barbara Hart, and she was born in 1916, but according to this page, she's still alive. And if that's true, she is 107. And uh, I'm going to look her up and see if she's still alive, because uh, somewhere, she's probably in heaven, but we didn't get it in the hymnal there. But uh, what, a, what a good song to sing, huh? And just to be reminded of uh, what a Christian family might look like. Hey, when you think about this guy, Job, how many of y'all know the Bible? Do y'all know this story in the Bible? When you think about this guy, Job, what do you think about when you think about Job? Just uh, nobody here but us. It's just Sunday morning. And uh, so what do you think about when you think about this man, Job, in the Bible? Give me a, give me a word or two. Trials. Blessed. Blessed. Absolutely. And he was. And he even says that. Trials. Blessed. Yes, sir, young man. Suffering, suffering saint. That's the truth. That's how most of us think about it. Any other words come to your mind? Any other word you would add? He's faithful. There's no doubt about that. This is a great, a great, great book in the Bible, 42 chapters. And I've known of this all my life. I, I don't know how many, I don't know when I learned the story of Job. I feel like I've known. I feel like I've, I've just known it all my life. Job chapter 1. Is, is where it all starts, and it starts in a unique way, and something got overlooked until just in recent months. But would you look at Job chapter 1? Let's read the first five verses together. If you're ready, say amen. amen. All right, the Bible says these words. There was a man in the land of Oz whose name was Job, and that man was perfect and upright, and one that feared God and eschewed evil. If you write in your Bible, maybe beside of verse 1, you could write, that's quite a man right there. Does that, does that make sense? That's quite a man, isn't it? And, and then right here in verse 2, and there were born unto him seven sons and three daughters. Beside verse 2, you could write, that's quite a family. And isn't that true? Here's quite a man, and he's got quite a family. Ten children. And how long would it take you to have ten children? At least ten or eleven or twelve, maybe fifteen years, maybe more, but, but at least ten years probably. So don't miss this. From verse 1 to verse 2 is a long time. There's a lot going on in here. And then the Bible right here uh, uh, this is uh, quite a wealthy man. In verse 3, his substance is 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 she-asses, and a very great household, so that this man was the greatest of all the men of the east. And then notice in verse 4, his sons went and feasted in their houses, everyone his day, and sent and called for their three sisters to eat and drink with them. Wonder how long it took from verse 2 to get to verse 4. In verse 2, it took uh, probably at least 10 years to have 10 children. In verse 4, they're grown. How long does it take you to raise 10 children? Now they have their own houses. You get the idea here that these four verses, quite a lot of time, wouldn't you? And you get to verse 5, and the Bible says an interesting thing. It was so, as they're having these feasts and celebrating maybe their birthday or 
at least their scheduled time to host the other children or the other siblings. It was so when the days of their feasting were gone about that Job sent and sanctified them and rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job continually. I uh, just want to zero in here this morning and, and let's start with these five verses a day and talk about winning at home. It's about winning at home. I like to win. Are you all with me on that? How many of y'all like to win? Anybody like that? How many of y'all like to win arguments? Anybody here, anybody here a good arguer? You know, always, you know anybody that has to have the last word? You know anybody like that? No, I like to win. I read somewhere, for you that are married, I read somewhere that arguing with your wife, guys, write this down, arguing with your wife is like reading software agreements. You have no idea what it's about, so you might as well just hit I agree. And I thought, well, that's pretty funny right there, isn't it? And I, I just like to win. Winning is an epic thing, isn't it? And here's a man, Job, if I were preaching as a pastor through Job, I think I would, I would preach three, a three-part series. I would call it winning at home, winning at life, and winning at suffering. And that, that would be my three-part series. But I'm not preaching on, on the, the whole book. I've only got time for the one part, winning at home. Have you ever noticed that Job begins and ends in the same place? Job begins with an emphasis on his family. Uh, do you want to turn with me to chapter 42? It'll take you just a moment to get there. So I didn't mark it, so I could just turn along with you to Job 42, and we're coming to the end of the book. And so mark your place in chapter 1 and chapter 42 if you can, because we'll, we'll be back and forth just a little bit. The Bible says in verse 12, now we're ending the chapter, we're ending the book, and, and here's the final paragraph in the book, chapter 42, verse 12. The Lord blessed the latter end of Job more than his beginning. For he had 14,000 sheep and 6,000 camels and 1,000 yoke of oxen and 1,000 she-asses. And he had seven, we would say, more sons and three more daughters. And he called the name of the first Jemima, the name of the second Keziah, and the name of the third Karen Hapuk. And in all the land were no women found so fair as the daughters of Job. And just a little, just a little statement, zero in on it, I'm coming back to it. And their father gave them inheritance among their brethren. Just, just kind of a casual statement, but it's full of meaning. And the final two verses. After this, Job lived 140 years and saw his sons and his sons' sons, even four generations. If you were with us yesterday, you remember those words in the book of Deuteronomy? His sons, his sons' sons. And uh, we zeroed on that just for a few moments, even four generations. And how does this whole book end in verse 17? So Job died being old and what, church? Now, what does the Bible mean when it says he was full of days? It means he had, uh, uh, all, is it counting up all 140 years times 365? Well, no. What he means when it says he's full of days is what it means is this, all was well. Job died a blessed man and all was well. And, and here's why all was well. It's not just because he went through a time of suffering and he came out of it with victory, though we could preach about that. It's not just that his life was really blessed and favored, though we could preach about that. You know why Job could die and say, all is well in my life? Because Job had a great family. Job had victory at home. He won at home. And how many of you all know that the home is under attack? How many of you all know that? We'll say things like that, won't we? We'll say, you know, boy, the home is under attack. But if you stop long enough to make that personal, did you know that your home is under attack? There's no doubt about it. The enemy hates your family. The enemy's against your marriage. The enemy's against your children. The enemy's against your grandchildren. Because here's what the enemy knows. Satan himself knows that if he can destroy the home, 
He can destroy the future. If he can destroy the home, he can destroy in a great way, cripple, not destroy. If he can destroy the home, in a great way, he can cripple Christianity. Because when the family is suffering, when the home is falling apart, when the kids aren't well, when you're not well, when things aren't well in your life, and things aren't well in your children's life, and things aren't well in your grandchildren's life, it cripples the church and it damages the family and it damages the nation and it damages the future. This is an incredible meditation for us today. God wants you to win at home. Do you all believe that? And, and, and we Americans, God, God bless us, we're so blessed that so many times we blow it, aren't we? Or, or, or don't we? Because we are, we're crazy blessed. I, I read in a book recently uh, of, a, of a missionary and he and his, his wife and kids lived on the mission field for many years and then they moved back to the USA. And when they moved back to the USA, they talked about the culture shock and how our families are always running and running and busy and going and running and buying and running and going and busy and, and how our lives are so messed up because of the fast-paced lives we are living. The three words he used were, were these. He, he said, uh, these three words define most homes in America. Doing, going, and getting. We're doing and doing and doing. We're doing, we're doing. We got basketball games and we got ballet practice and we got music practice and we got, we got, we got, you know, we got to run here and we got to run there. We're doing, we're doing, we're always doing. And then we're going, we're going and going and going and going and going. And then we're getting, we got to have more. Got, I got to have a newer car, got to have a bigger house, got to have, got to have more money, got to have a newer phone. I, I got, I got to have more, 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 more. And it's killing us, isn't it? Job stands as a great testimony that you and I can win at home. I want, to, I want to meditate on that with you. What, what, what do we learn? What do we, what do we learn? What lessons can we learn from Job about his home? And, and there's three I want to give you, all right? Here they are. Write them down somewhere. Start in verse 1 of chapter 1. Start in verse 1 of chapter 1, and how many of you agree there was a character culture in Job's home? There was a character culture. Can you see that? What, what, was it, what, what does the Bible want you to know about Job? The Bible wants you to know something about his character. And he says four things about Job's character. This man was perfect, he was upright, he feared God, he eschewed evil. All right, I don't want you to memorize those. And so I'm going to, uh, you, you re repeat after me. Nobody here but us. And uh, I, if, if, you, if you look like you get the message and you stay with me, I preach shorter. All right, is that fair? And uh, so stay with me or we could be here. We'll miss lunch. We don't want to miss lunch. All right, so here we go. Here we go. Number one, we would say that Job was perfect. What is it? Perfect. He was perfect. All right, it means he was spiritually mature. Here's a guy that was growing in the Lord. It's, it's not that he didn't have any flaws. It's not that he, 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 he never failed. It's not that he wasn't normal. It's that he was spiritually mature. Now, I don't know you, my dear friend, my brothers and sisters and, and all, but I will tell you this. It's absolutely vital that you and I be growing in the Lord. Amen. Character says, you know what? I need help, and I haven't arrived, and I've still got growing to do. And anybody here, you're as much like Jesus as you possibly can be? Anybody here arrived? I mean, I'd like to meet you if you have, because I've never met anybody like that. Are you all with me on that? I'm, I'm 52 years old, and I, you know, that's a hard thing to say, because I'm somewhere in the middle. For you older folks, you're like, my goodness, he's just a spring chicken. And for some of you teens in the room, you're like, my goodness, he's standing. And uh, so when you're in the middle, it's a little awkward, isn't it? But, but, you know, here's the deal. I'm 52 years old, and I've been a Christian for 36 years, and I think I've read my Bible every day for those 36 years. And I've tried to have a prayer life in those 36 years, and there's a lot of things I've tried to do for the Lord. But can I tell you something? I am painfully aware of the fact that I still got a lot of growing to do. 
Hey, how many of y'all with me on that? Anybody here beside me? Don't we have a lot to growing to do? Don't we still need areas where we spiritually? Do you ever get, do you ever just find yourself struggling with your sin nature? Anybody here ever find things like this in your life? I'm just grouchy. Hard to get along with, easily bothered, on edge, worried and frustrated and uptight. Hard to get along with, sharp-tongued and short-tempered. Anybody here ever battled anything like that in your life? Well, see, here's what I want you to know about Job. He was normal, but I'll tell you what, he was working on character in his family. There was a character culture there, and you get a glimpse of it here in the fact when the Bible says he was perfect. Then the Bible says he was upright. Uh, the, the second word is upright. What's the second word? Upright. It means he was righteous. Here was a man that was righteous. He's trying to please God. Could you honestly say that about your life? That I, uh, I, I'm growing, I'm working at being spiritually mature. You read the Bible every day. You try to have a prayer life. Are you faithful to church? Are, are, you working on, are you working on your habits spiritually? Are you more loving, more gentle, more kind, more gracious, more thoughtful, more aware, easier to get along with than you ever have been? Are, are you sweeter than you ever have been? Are you, are you spiritually mature? And are you, are you righteous? Are you working on being a righteous, godly, spirit-filled, a right kind of person when it comes to Christianity? Number three, the Bible says here that he feared God. He feared God. What's number three? He did what? Feared he feared God. You know that one, don't you? Now, you, some of you weren't here yesterday, and we learned yesterday that the fear of God is a simple, simple statement in the Bible that has the idea, I live my life with an awareness a reverence for God and an awareness of His presence. I live my life with a reverence for God and an awareness of His presence, and, and because I'm aware of God and, and, and reverence God, it affects the way I live my life. That, that's how you see the fear of God. It, it's true there's a sense in which the word is phobia, and we could literally say there's a sense in which I'm scared to death of God. There, there's a little sense in that. Because here's what I do know. The Bible does say that the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. How many of y'all know that? And, and what does that mean? What, what does, it, does, it, does it mean that, uh, does it mean that I, just, I, I know what's wrong and I hate it? Now, there's part of that, but in a sense, make it personal. The fear of the Lord is that I'm scared to death, that I'll do wrong and bring the judgment of God into my life. How's that way with my dad? I don't know how y'all raise kids or how you were raised, but uh, my, my, I was raised in this family... And we're Tennesseans. I was raised in the mountains of Tennessee near Knoxville. And uh, my dad was unusual in the fact that my dad did not believe in spankings. And so I never got a spanking from my father. Never did. My dad did not give spankings, didn't believe in them. My dad only gave whoopings. Amen. Now, y'all know that word up here in Wisconsin? And how many of y'all know that's a different word than spankings? Y'all know that? And uh, I went to kid, you know, school with kids that got spankings. And, and, and Micah, spanking, you know, my, my first grade teacher believed in spankings. I was in a public school in the 1970s. Jimmy Carter was the president. And, and, and my first grade teacher was Mrs. Buxton. She was uh, 70 the year she taught me first grade. She was about four foot eight. She's this tiny little lady. I think she was an ex-Marine. Uh, I can't prove that. She was tough as nails. And boys and girls, you know what Mrs. Buxton, my first grade teacher, did three times when I was in the first grade? She lined up every kid in the first grade and spanked every one of them. With a paddle, with a board. She said, put your hands on your knees. And then she, she took a board and smacked your backside with it. Three times in a public school. How many of y'all went to a public school kind of like that? Anybody here just out of curiosity? Our first grade teacher was rough. And then she wrote a letter home to our parents and bragged about it. 
My dad, I was dumb enough to take that letter home. And my dad read that letter and sat me down and said, young man, you're a young. And youngs don't go to school and get in, in trouble. So he spanked me again. He whooped me again. And so I got two. Can you believe that? Those other two times she spanked the first grade class. I didn't take those letters home. I wasn't that dumb. And I knew better than that. But see, here, here, here's, here's where I'm going with this. The fact of the matter is I had a fear of my dad. It wasn't that I was like, you know, every time he was around, I was shaking in my boots. I just knew, you know what, if I do wrong, my dad's going to cloud up and rain all over me. Y'all understand what I mean by that? There was a healthy fear in that. So there's a sense in which I, I'm aware of the fact God is so real and God knows everything I do. How many of y'all are aware of that? God knows what I do and what I don't do and why I do what I do and why I don't do what I don't do. And he knows what I would do if I could get by with it and what I would not do if I did not have to. He knows my dreams and my schemes, my successes and my failures. There is no secret of my life that God doesn't know. There's a little fear in that. There's a little phobia in that. God is real and knows everything I do. And the word of God says, I'm going to reap what I sow. There's some fear in that. But this, this idea of this word, it's not that I'm scared to death of God. Oh my goodness, what if he slaps you with the side of the head? That's not the God of the Bible. What we find is that he's so good and so loving that it's worth serving him. And I have such a reverence for him and such an awareness of his presence that it affects the way I live my life. This is, this is character in Job chapter 1. Y'all see this? There was a character culture here. And then the Bible says this, he eschewed evil. He avoided evil. He eschewed evil. He avoided evil. The, the word we'll use is avoided evil. What did he do, number four? He avoided evil. He avoided evil. Some of you didn't say that. Now, now I know you want to have lunch, so you better wake up and stay with me. Uh, what did he do, number four? He avoided, avoided evil. evil. Now, catch that. This is character. And, and think about Job's life. His character, the character culture in his home showed up in his piety, didn't it? He was the real deal. Do you know what I mean by that? This guy's the real deal. Why do you suppose, and I'll come back to this in just a moment, why do you suppose that his grown children showed up for the prayer meeting in chapter five or in verse 5? I, I mean, are you serious? His kids are grown men with their own houses, and dad sends for them. The Hebrew word there implies that he sent to fetch them. He sent to bring them. And, and, and what, what, what is it? What, what was it about their dad that dad says, all right, kids, we're going to have a prayer meeting, and I want you to come to the early morning prayer meeting. They showed up. You, you know the answer, don't you? He was the real deal, wasn't he? They respected that. Moms and dads, can I tell you? Your kids will know. Every Christian family has to have a character culture to where we're growing in the Lord. We're walking with God. We're doing what's right. We're honoring God. We're fearing evil. We're avoiding evil. We're, we're, we're pursuing spiritual maturity. You can see it in his piety. Do you know what you can also see? That he had character in his words. How many of y'all know that, that the way we talk is important? Did y'all know that? Let me show you something. You got your Bible? To chapter 1? Are you in chapter 1? Look in chapter 1 and, and just catch something here. This is simple. Look in, in, in verse, verse 20. Uh, this, you know, every, he's lost everything. Uh, there's a lot of suffering going on here. His kids have been killed and he's lost his houses and his, his animals. All of a sudden, he's poor as dirt. And then verse 20 says at the end of chapter 1 that Job arose and rent his mantle and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshiped and said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job sinned not nor charged God foolishly. Can, can you imagine how powerful those words are? Here's a man who did not sin in what he had to say. You see it in chapter 2. Look at chapter 2 and, and, and be careful with this one. Chapter 2, verse 9. 
Now he's, he's suffering because now he's got all these, uh, these boils and he, he's, he's, he's broken out with all these terrible boils and he's suffering. Not only, not only has he lost everything, now he's suffering physically. And in verse 9, his wife said unto him, Do you still retain your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said unto her, Thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh. What? Shall we receive good at the hand of God, and shall we not receive evil? Watch that last phrase in chapter 2, verse 10. In all this did not Job sin with his lips. You chew on that a moment. You chew on that a moment. Be nice to his wife. Be sweet about his wife. She just lost everything, including ten children. So there's no reason to be harsh about his wife. I, occasionally I've heard a preacher be harsh about his wife or joke about his wife. This is no joking matter. This woman's had a tough, tough go of it lately. She says to her husband, you know, we might as well just curse God and die. And he said, we can't. God's been too good to us and he's too real to us for us to do that. Notice the Bible says he never sinned with his lip. I, I, I got to show you. I, I got to be done in just a moment. But I got to show you the last chapter again. So if you mark your place, flip over there. And let me show you something that happens in the last chapter. This, just, this is just this so, so, so intriguing to me. In chapter 42 and verse 7, it was so that after the Lord had spoken unto Job, the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, My wrath is kindled against thee and against thy two friends. Watch this. For ye have not spoken of me the thing that is right as my servant Job hath. Therefore take unto you now seven bullocks and seven rams and go to my servant Job. And offer up for yourselves a burnt offering. And my servant Job shall pray for you. For him will I accept, lest I deal with you after your folly. Watch the ending of 42 verse 8. In that ye have not spoken of me the thing which is right, like my servant Job. Now, I, I got to tell you, I find this so intriguing. How do I know that Job was a real deal charactered Christian? Number one, his piety evidences that, his holiness. He avoids evil, and, and he's growing spiritually. There's no doubt about it. This man has character, Christian character. But it shows up in his words. He, here's a verse all of you ought to know. Here's a verse you all ought to know. You ought to meditate on. The Bible says in the New Testament, and you that were here yesterday, this is, you, you'll remember we talked about this just kind of briefly yesterday. The Bible says, if any man among you seems to be religious, can I stop? If there's somebody among us that seems to be religious, all right, I tell you what let's do. Let's look at each other. Look, look around the room. Everybody look around. Get a good look at each other. Nobody here but us. Look around. I know this is weird, but look around. Look around at each other. Look around, everybody. And I'm going to ask you a question. Don't we seem to be religious? Okay, we're going to try that again. Look around, look around. Get a good look. Now, y'all talk to me. I'm, we're just nobody here but us. And let me ask you a question. You answer out loud. Don't we seem to be religious? Yes. It's a beautiful day out there, and we're in church. And look, some of you even dressed up to come to church. And, and look, we got our kids all dressed up, and we sang these. We look religious, don't we? We seem to be. The Bible says, if any man among you seemeth to be religious, and, you know the next part of it? Bridleth not his tongue. His religion is vain. Think about, think about, how do I know, how do I know this guy had the, was a real deal kind of Christian? It shows up in his character. You can see it in his holiness, his piety. You can see it in his words. You can see it in his consistency. Chapter 1 and verse 5 ends with these words. This is something Job did continually. 
He prayed continually. He was concerned about his family continually. He had a family altar continually. He was pursuing righteousness continually. That's how the Bible describes Job. In other words, you want to have a Christian family, my brothers and sisters. Number one, you gotta, you got to have a character culture at your home. we got to train our children to be honest, to love God, to walk with God, to serve God, to be careful how they speak to each other. And moms and dads, we've got to model how we talk to each other, even in our marriage. When we roll our eyes and sigh and huff and puff and we're sarcastic and belittling and tearing down, how many of y'all know that is not Christianity? We're real, so yes, life can bother you. I'm not being weird about that. Uh, Things things happen that can really, you know, set you on edge, can't they? Like some years ago, I was driving my truck and RV, and I was heading home, and I was so excited that it was beautiful weather, and I was coming out of Tennessee on I-65, and I hit the Tennessee-Alabama border. I'm headed to Florida to my house. Hadn't been home in like a month, and I can't wait to get home again. And I crest the bridge going across the Tennessee River, and just as I got to the top, you know how the bridge goes up, and then just as I got to the top, you know what happened? My truck coughed. And I thought, that didn't sound right. And then it coughed again. In fact, it started shuddering. And I looked down at my dash in panic, and that's when I discovered that I was out of fuel with a truck and trailer on a hot day on the side of the interstate, out of fuel. You'd think a man that travels most of his life would know better than that, wouldn't you? You know how life can just throw curveballs at you, can't it? You can get out and kick tires. You can curse the darkness. You can throw things. Or you can jog down the interstate to the next exit happily and and buy some diesel fuel and walk back up while people make fun of you while they're driving by. Look at that guy. He ran out of fuel, didn't he? He Smile and wave, boys. Smile and wave. Are you all with me on this? Job's this kind of guy. In other words, God wants us to be real as Christians. That's a real, genuine Christianity, and that'll affect your home. i got to close. Two things I'll show you. Number one, there was character culture in Job's home. How many of y'all can see that? Number two, there was a counter culture in Job's home. Now, that, evidence, that, that shows up in two ways. Uh, well, I, there's more ways, but two really stand out to me. His character was counter culture, and when you have character, it always is, isn't it? The world we live in would rather just get mad at you and throw things at you. The world we live in would rather just cuss a little bit and slam things around, huff and puff and be on edge and bothered. But not Job. There's a counterculture in his family. Notice how close they were. His brothers, all the kids all got along. All ten of them got together at least seven times a year, the text implies, to have have just a little party together. It implies a birthday party because each one his day But it may not mean that. We don't know that for sure. It may just mean they scheduled seven times a year. You're going to feed us this date. You're going to feed us that date. I don't know all that it means. But we do know that that seven times a year they all got together and they made sure their sisters were there. I won't go any farther than I should with that. But if you do much studying at all, did you know that Job lived in a pagan land? Oz is pagan. And in paganism, women are property. In fact, in paganism, a dad wasn't that concerned about his daughters 
because a dad, his goal with his daughters was to get them married so that they would have status in the marriage he chose for them. Paganism, paganism always treated ladies as secondary and less than Christianity would treat them. Less than God intended them to be treated. And yet Job's counterculture. He taught the boys to respect their sisters in such a way that even though they're all grown now and having their own party, they're still close enough that when, when the party time comes, they made sure to invite their sisters so they could be together as a happy, happy, happy family. How many of y'all know that's counterculture and even in the world we live in? To have a happy family that gets together and enjoys life and loves God and serves together. How many of y'all know that's counterculture? Did you know that? Did you know, did you catch what I read in chapter 42 at the end? What did Job do as he's getting ready to die? He gave his brother, the, the, his sons, an inheritance. And the Bible says, his daughters. Nobody did that in paganism. You didn't give your daughters an inheritance. They were just property. Get rid of them. Give them to a husband that's got a lot of money. Let him take care of them. But Job wasn't that way at all. You know what I'm trying to say? Not only do we need a character culture in our homes, we need to be counterculture in our homes. Yeah, the world around us is falling apart. Doesn't mean your family has to. Yes, the world around us is messed up and uptight and bothered and on edge and frustrated and irritated. Yes, the world around us is losing their children faster than they can, can, can explain it. Yes, the world around us is a mess. Yes, our grandchildren seem to be struggling this generation. But you know what? That's not God's plan for your family. And is it going to take a lot of work? Is it going to take years of training and years of talking and years of teaching and, and years of discipline and years of correction and years of spiritual growth and learning how to avoid evil and how to fear God? Is there a lot of work that goes into having a Christian family? I say unto you, you better believe it. Forget the family. There's a lot of work in just me and you being the Christian we ought to be. How in the world can I raise a godly family when I'm working so hard to even make myself be what I'm supposed to be? But Job is saying to us, you know what? You can be what you're supposed to be, and you can train your children to be what they, they're supposed to be. And the fact of the matter is, someday they can be grown and be on the right track because of you. Isn't that incredible to think about? He's counterculture. Now, I could preach on that a while, but I'm going to give you the last thing and be done, okay? Number one, there's a character culture. How many of y'all can see that? Y'all with me on that? Number two, there's a counterculture. Can y'all see that? But there's one more thing I have to tell you. There's a definite Christian culture in Job's home. There's a definite Christian culture. Here's a man, verse 5 tells us in chapter 1. Here's a man, verse 5 says, who prayed continually. Did you catch that? Here's a man who prayed for his family. He offered sacrifices for them. And here's a man who prayed with his family. Look at verse 5, and our time is gone. It was so when the days of their feasting were gone about that Job sent, that Hebrew word implies sent for them, that Job sent and sanctified them and rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job continually. How many of you all know that if we're going to have Christian families, it's vital that we have prayer lives as individuals. Is that sensible? Does that make sense? Let me know the audience. Help me with the audience. How many of you, uh, how many of you are married? Let me see your hand if you're married. All right, how many of you are married? All right. How many of you, uh, how many of y'all are raising children? Let me see your hand. You're raising children. 
All right. How many of you have children if they're grown? Let me see your head. Have children if they're grown. All right. How many of y'all have grandchildren? Let me see your head. Grandchildren. How many of y'all like your grandchildren better than your children? Anyway, okay. Quite a few there. How many singles we have in the room? How many singles? And that should be everybody else. A lot of you are single. All right. Now, now let's think about this. You may not have a family. You may not feel like you're the best dad in the world or the best mom in the world. But every Christian here ought to have a prayer life. Every Christian here ought to pray. You know what's happening in our culture? We're too busy. We hit the floor checking email and Instagram and, and, and TikTok and Twitter and, and emails. And, and, and we hit the floor and turn the news on. And if you want to start your day on an encouraging note, turn the news on. Because that'll bless your heart, won't it? If you want to go to bed happy, watch the news before you go to bed. Because that'll sure put you in a happy frame of mind. Did you know, if you had no idea who Nancy Pelosi was, you could still die a happy person. If you had never heard of Donald Trump, do you realize you could still die a happy person? You don't have to have the news, but I'm telling you, you have to have prayer if you're going to have a godly family. And so you ought to pray yourself. Let me ask you, let me ask you young people something that are single. Uh, do you ever pray? You know, you don't have to pray like this, but there is something definite special about kneeling. And almost nobody does in our culture. But to take some time, my, my Papa Young was a drunk and a moonshiner and a brutal, brutal man. Uh, the, the whole family was. My granny, they were married. It was her second marriage, his first. And he had had a rough life. He, he was, his mom didn't want him and his dad didn't want him, so they gave him up for, you know, they actually gave him to a family in town. They didn't give him up for adoption. They gave him to a family. He'd had a rough life, and, and he lived a rough life, never learned to read, and, and, and never finished school, didn't know the alphabet, couldn't write his own name. But that man got saved when he was in his late 40s, early 50s, somewhere in there. And although he couldn't read the Bible, and although he didn't know a lot, he was backwards, and the family was rough. Granny went to jail for shooting at her daughter-in-law. That's no lie. How many of y'all thank God I'm saved? <laughs> Wouldn't I be a mess with that kind of background? And, and, and yet my, my papa, they didn't have electricity, and they didn't have indoor plumbing. And they milked every morning cows by hand. And every night they milked the cows by hand. And after my papa got saved, he built a little corner of his dairy barn into an altar. And every morning when milking was done, this is where you'd find him, in the dairy barn on his knees. And every night when milking was done, that's where he would go, just to spend a few moments on his knees. There's nothing mystical about praying on your knees, but there is something powerful about praying. And maybe, maybe the simple place to start in having a godly Christian family in a messed up world like ours is to get on our knees. Because some of you in this room, your grandson or your granddaughter is a, is a weight in your heart and you don't even know how to help them. But I'm telling you, there's a real God in heaven who loves your grandson or granddaughter more than you do. And he answers prayer. Get on your knees and pray. You got a problem in your family? You got a problem in your life? You, you, you want to get married? Don't know who to marry? You, you don't know what the future... How do you raise kids? Try this! Job, the Bible says he did this continually. You don't have to have all the answers. 
You don't have to read all the books. You may not ever teach a session on having a godly family, but see what you could do. Anybody in this room can get on your knees in the presence of a real God who really hears, who really answers, who really does miracles. And you can say to that God, God, I got two kids and I'm praying for them by name because I want you to work in their heart and I want you to lead them and guide them and help them. And if you're raising them, you get on your knees and you say, God, you've got to help me to train them. You've got to help me to teach them. This is, what, this, is, this is the Christian culture of Job's family. How many families do you know that never pray? I know Christian families don't even pray at the table. There's something wrong with that, isn't there? When, and, and life is, I know life is busy, and I'm not trying to beat you up. I'm just trying to tell you, this family, Job's family, succeeded incredibly well. And it really wasn't that hard. He just had a character culture, and he was counterculture, and there's a definite Christian culture in his life and in his family. He prayed, you can see it in his prayer, and you can see it that he had a family altar. How simple is that? He had a family altar. You, know, you don't have to have a revival meeting to have a family altar. Sometimes we, you know, we, maybe, maybe the reason we struggle is we make it too hard. You know, let, let, let's, let's come in here, kids, sit down. We're going to sing five verses of whatever, and we're going to take up an offering because we're Baptists and, and, uh, or whatever. You don't, have to be, you don't have to be that weird about it. Just get your kids together every night and say, hey, before we call it a night and call it quits and go to bed, let's just take a moment to love God and have prayer. Daniel was a single guy. And two times his, his home shows up in the book of Daniel. Only twice do you ever find Daniel's house. He had a house. He had a home. Just Daniel is single, but he had a home. And, and twice it shows up. And did you know that both times his home shows up? Daniel, this single guy who never got married, never had kids, never had grandkids. Daniel, both times his home shows up. What you find is they're praying. The first one there, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel got together at his house, and they're praying for wisdom. They know how to interpret the king's dream. The second time, they had signed the law and said, if you, if you pray to any god except the king, we're going to throw you in the lion's den. And Daniel went to his house and opened the window so they would know he was doing it. Now, I, just, I like this guy. He opened the window so they would know he was praying. And, and it's, like, it's like Daniel says, go ahead, guys. I ain't got nothing to lose. It's like, it's, you, you can't scare me with heaven. Throw me in the lion's den. If I come out, then I'll come out with a miracle. And if I die, well, I'm going to be in the presence of this God that I've been telling Nebuchadnezzar about for years anyway. You can't, you can't scare a Christian with heaven. Are y'all with me on that? That's why COVID didn't bother me too much. I took it seriously. I washed my hands. I, I wore a mask when I was supposed to. I, I, I was careful. But I'm not, I'm not going to live my life in fear because I'm a child of God. I'm a born-again believer, and I believe God is real and heaven is too. And so if I die, well, praise God, I'm going to be in heaven. I can't explain that to you, but if I didn't believe it, I wouldn't be preaching. It's that real. And here's this guy, Job. Was life rough on Job? Yes, it was. He suffered some incredible... Can you imagine having to bury all ten of your children? How many of y'all know that life can be hard? I've never buried ten children, but we've had to deal with two that were born that didn't live. Those are dark days. Those are hard times. What gets you through the darkness of life? A loving God whom you can step into his presence in prayer. What, what gets you through this world that's so messed up? 
a loving God where you can gather your family around and just make sure you're all right with God and pray about it? Am I making sense at all? How are you doing at home? Job was working on the character. Is there any man in this room who'd have to be honest and say, you know, Dave, I, I, I really struggle with that. I get so uptight. I get so angry. I'm always on edge. I, I, I'm so harsh. That, then, then you need to pray about that. Is there a lady in the room? And Just life is busy, and I'm not trying to be mean, but the fact of the matter is you're, you're easily bothered and uptight and irritated and frustrated and just on edge and just life just... Is that, is that us? That's not, that's not the Christianity God wants us to have. Am I making sense? Is your home counterculture? I mean, are you watching the same movies the world around us is watching? You got the same attitude they got? You live in the same way they're living? Or are you saying, no, 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 we're going to be a Christian family? Is there a Christian culture in your home? Is there any prayer there at all? Is there a family altar? You see, here's what we find when you read the book of Job. What you find in the book of Job is that Job was the real deal Christian and it affected his family. And I'm done preaching this morning. But I want to stop before I finish and close the sermon to say this to you. If there's any chance at all that you've come to Shano Baptist Church this morning and, and you don't know that all is well in your life spiritually. It, it may be that you got born again years ago, you came to Jesus and you know you were saved, but all is not well can I remind you that Jesus is real? And He's a God of new beginnings. Can I remind you of that? And you may be as far from God as you know how to be, but the fact of the matter is, Almighty God is a loving God, and He is always able to forgive us, and He's always able to lead us, and He's always able to guide us. And I'll tell you something else, He is always able to give us a brand new beginning when we need one. And you this morning, you, you can make an altar. We'll have an invitation this morning. Do you ever do that? Do you ever pray? We'll just have an invitation. These are just steps, but we can make an altar. We can turn them out at our seat and make an altar and say, God, I am far from you and I know I am and I need you to work in my heart again. I don't have joy. I don't have peace. I don't have victory. And I've got problems. I've got issues. And you know, if you come to God, he cares and he'll let you have a brand new beginning. And it may be that you're not even on your way to heaven. Maybe that's a question in your heart. Well, you know, I, I, I'm in church because obviously I, I, I'm at least interested but do you know for sure that you're going to heaven the Bible way? Do you know for sure that you are born again through Jesus Christ the Bible way? Because what the Bible says is that all of us are sinners. How many of y'all know that to be true? And there's a Savior named Jesus who died for our sins, and he was buried, and he was raised from the dead. Now look, because Jesus died for your sins, you can be born again through Jesus. He'll take away your sins. And because he was raised from the dead, you can have spiritual, eternal, everlasting life through Jesus. He proved it when he was raised from the dead. And see, everybody who goes to heaven, everybody who, who knows God, you, you, know, you, don't, you don't get saved by going to confirmation or getting, you know, through catechism or, or, or praying to a, to a pastor or a priest. What the Bible says is, if you're going to go to heaven, you've got to be born again through Jesus Christ. It's like a spiritual birthday. It's like the day you got married. You don't just wake up one morning and decide, I'm going to be married. I'm married now. No, you've got to make a decision. You've got to study it out. You've got to think it through. You've got to say, okay, I'm getting married, and here's the day I'm getting married, and you say, I do, and you're married. Well, getting saved is, is similar to that. I'm a sinner, and I don't know God, and I think about it. You know, I wish I knew God. I'm a sinner, and I want my sins forgiven. And, and, and according to the Bible, Jesus died and was buried and was raised from the dead. And you know what? I need to be born again. That's a specific time. 
when I say, God, I'm turning to you through Jesus Christ, and I want Jesus to forgive my sins, and I want Jesus to be my Savior. For me, it was January the 19th, 1986, on a Sunday night after I heard a gospel message at a little Baptist church in Lansing, Tennessee, and I understood, well, my goodness, that God really is real. And I really do need to know Him. And I just turned to Him, called on Him, prayed to Him, and He forgave my sins. And He wants to do that for you. So, how's it going in your life today? How are things in your home today? Let's bow our heads for prayer, shall we? Just for a moment, let's pray. Would you, would you bow, not, not to me, but to God? And close your eyes just a moment. How many of you would say, hey, Dave, things aren't well in my life. I think I'm a Christian, but things aren't well. Would you just remember me in prayer? I don't even know that I know all the answers, but I know that God is real. And I kind of feel like I need a new beginning. I feel like things aren't well. And, and I, I don't know much about God, but I want to know Him. And I, I just, I, I think I'm a Christian. I think I am. But I just know I need to make some changes. Pray for me about it. Can I just see your hand? I'll, I'll just pray for you. I don't know your name, but I'll pray for you. Anybody here who would say, Dave, I don't know Jesus as my Savior. I, I really don't. I'm not sure that I'm going to heaven. Would you pray about that? Anybody just nod at me or motion for me or raise your hand, let me see it, I'll pray for you. I won't know your name, but I'll pray for you. How many of you would say, Dave, as we've been talking about the family, God's speaking to my heart, and I can see things in my life where I need to improve, where I need to pick it up. Would you pray for me about our family? Let me see your hand. How many of you would be like that? I'd be happy to pray for you about your family. How many of you would say, hey, Dave, I'm concerned about my kids and they're grown and they're a burden in my heart. Some things about my kids and grandkids are a burden in my heart. Would you pray with me about that? Let me see your hand. Can I pray with somebody like that? And, and God bless you guys. God loves you. Let's go to prayer, shall we?